We are officially recording. All right, my friend. Take it away. You usually pray before we start. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Father. Forgive me. All right. We are officially set to go. All right. Actually, let me just plug my... Welcome. Our journey as Christians, graduate students, and budding scholars regularly leads us to explore questions about ethics, sexuality, history, and faith. The Methinks podcast is an invitation for you to join us in that act and to thoughtfully engage and wrestle with these questions alongside us. History, particularly religious history in the 20th century. And I am Joel. I'm a philosophy PhD student and I study justice, social ethics, philosophy of religion, and a little bit of epistemology. Today we're going to be talking about moral relativism. In particular, we're going to be thinking about a recent paper that came out about a year ago and it was published by Thomas Polzler. He's a philosopher at the University of Graz in Austria. And this uh, paper came out in Scientific America. It does a little bit of what's called moral psychology. So it's the intersection of ethics and psychology. And the paper is called, Is Moral Relativism Really a Problem? Psychological Research suggests it is not. And just to clarify, is this like an academic paper or is this more an article for a general audience? I think it's the latter. Yeah, I kind of got that feel reading it, that this is really kind of a a means of getting some academic research out to people who might be interested in the topic. Yeah, this is definitely an exercise in public philosophy rather than like, you know, publishing this paper in like a peer-reviewed journal. He might have a a corresponding paper like that. I'm sure he does, but Okay. So... Let's just define some terms real quick. Moral relativism, what is it? Well, roughly moral relativism is the view that moral standards or moral facts are determined by culture. They aren't these mind-independent objective realities or facts or standards. No, they're, they're the sort of standards that a culture um, agrees to or comes to and they sort of depend for their reality, for their existence, on the preferences and beliefs and convictions of culture. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that moral standards are relative to the culture. That's why it's called moral relativism. And we should contrast moral relativism not with moral absolutism, but with moral objectivism. Objectivism says that moral standards exist independent of any culture's preferences or beliefs. Ob- Objective moral facts are a lot like objective scientific facts or uh, empirical facts. For example, that the sun orbits... Wow, I almost got that wrong. That the earth orbits the sun. (laughs) That would have been amazing. I know. That the earth orbits the sun is an objective fact about the world, right? Like whether I believe it or not, it's true. It's a reality. And moral objectivists think that moral facts and standards are similar. Whether any culture endorses them, is aware of them, wants them, likes them, moral facts are out there. They exist. They're real things in the world. 
that are independent of us. Whereas the relativist was going to say, there are moral facts, it's just that they're determined by the standards of the culture. Right. So to clarify, this isn't personal relativism, where it's like, I get to develop my own truth based on just solely my own thought. But instead, that there are moral facts that society ascribes to, it's just those moral facts might change over time, given kind of majority opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the individual relativism, or sometimes called subjectivism, just says that Moral facts are whatever my preferences or convictions are about a matter. Good. And so we're really thinking more about this, what's called cultural relativism. And everything has to do with the the standards and preferences of the culture at large. Okay. Okay. So what prompted this paper was this question, does belief in relativism create any problems? Does it corrupt character? Is it a threat to society at large? And... The there are a lot of people who think it does. For example, in the article, Polsler mentions a politician, Paul Ryan, um, who said moral relativism has done so much damage to the bottom end of this country. The bottom fifth has been damaged by the culture of moral relativism more than by anything else, I would argue. If you ask me what the biggest problem in America is, I'm not going to tell you debt, deficits, statistics, economics. I'll tell you it's moral relativism. And so the idea here is that moral relativism has a somewhat bad reputation in certain circles. And this is sort of exemplified by this quote from Paul Ryan, who, who thinks that moral relativism actually seems to explain certain kinds of economic um, inequalities. I mean, the bottom fifth is clearly a reference to the, the lowest quintile of economic income. So... So that's where we're coming from. And like, you know, you can talk to anyone, you know, at church or on the streets. And a lot of people are going to say, yeah, relativism is going to lead to like moral decay. It's going to lead to problems. There are people who are more optimistic about it. But in general, there are a lot lot of people who think that moral relativism has corrupting qualities. And so Maggie, as a historian, um, I'm wondering what what precedence there is for this worry in America? Where else do we see worries about relativism rise up in American history? Yeah, I mean, you can see, I think, all of the fears that we commonly hear in political circles about the decline of Judeo-Christian values in America. Um, I think that all has to do with this kind of fear of a cultural relativism. Like if we lose some kind of core foundational truths, um, it's going to lead to the downfall of cultural strength, right? Or downfall of the nation in a way. And you get that rhetoric um, throughout the 20th century, surely. Um, I think also when you see the rise in agnosticism, the rise in atheism, or at least self-declared agnostics and atheists, you see the clash between that kind of philosophy and the fundamentalist or more conservative view, which is that, no, 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 there is an exact specific truth and we can know everything about it. And so in the early 20th century, when you have a lot of religious folks that see the damages um, of, in their view, right, the damage of modernism, they blame it all um, in many ways on this kind of philosophical relativism, this idea that the youth of the of America in particular are falling apart because they no longer have a purpose. They no longer have an absolute truth to stand on. So they say that like the suicide rate is going up and this is why our young men don't have good jobs. And this is why they, you know, aren't raising families and why divorce is on the rise. So all of these things, um, you see that really, um, 
start up again after uh, World War II during the Cold War. You see this kind of fear of like those who might accept communism as a possibility. It's like, no, 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 like that's unacceptable because it strays from this like very specific truth. Uh, and, and once again, with the school prayer cases, uh, that, that decline of Judeo-Christian values was like, this is going to lead to a rise in crime. This is going to lead to um, a nation of youth who are unmoored by moral truth. And so we need to give them that foundation in the schools through religious training. Um, and really, that's, that's all about kind of giving them a definite moral code based on moral facts. It's that's so interesting. <clears throat> and at various points in what you were saying, you, you mentioned that like people feared that if you strayed from a sort of traditional historic Christian ethic, mm-hmm. then that would be the unraveling of American society. And someone listening might say, well, that's not relativism, but in like, you know, you could, you could reject Christian ethics for some sort of other ethic. But I think given the prevalence of religious belief and thought in America, I'm guessing yeah. that a lot of people think, well, to reject a sort of Judeo-Christian ethic is to just reject right. objective Especially ethics. all the way up until, I mean, 1967, when we really do change um, immigration law and we get actually a great diversity of religion. It really is uh-huh. mostly seen as either Protestant, Catholic, like that, those are the major faiths, and they were at odds with each other through most of the 20th century. Um, until other religions came along that were more of a threat and then suddenly they were both considered Christian. Um, But more so than that, like the big threat was communism Mm. during the Cold War and communism was quote unquote godless. Like that was the big threat of communism. That's why we have in God we trust on our money. You know, that happened because of the communist threat. This idea that we need to become more um, rooted Hmm. in this truth, this absolute truth, because if we don't, everything will uh, fall apart. And so you can see like there's some very specific ways that that manifests in education policy, um, reactions to the school prayer case, things like that. Um, I think there's also um, a lot of conservative fear that goes back to that. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that the schools are indoctrinating um, kids with, you know, just relative morals that this idea that you don't have a purpose and you can determine everything for yourself and Mm -hmm. there is no meaning. I think all of that really at its root comes down to this question of moral relativism. Yeah. And I would add too, it sounds like it comes down to the issue of whether or not moral facts are objective, but also whether or not there are any moral facts at all. So like the, the moral nihilist says that uh, morality is fictitious. There just aren't moral facts. Moral discourse is either nonsense or it's all false. I mean, the, the moral nihilist is a lot like someone who, thinks that um, there are no unicorns. So whenever we talk about unicorns, we're just referring to like non-existent things. And so, yeah, based on what you're saying, it sounds like part part of the issue is a fear of moral relativism, but also a fear of moral nihilism. And I can see why people would be concerned about the social ethical impacts of each of those. Yeah, I mean, and there's like some great evidence um, in the 1920s, uh, the Leopold Loeb case, for example, um, when you actually see this argument on both sides um, of this, the debate that education um, is corrupting young minds with uh, Nietzschean philosophy in particular, that was the, the big Dang problem. Nietzsche. And that these two young men, because they had been influenced by Nietzsche, like thought that um, they could just decide that they were more powerful 
and therefore it was okay for them to kill a classmate mm. because they could and they wanted to know how to do it and they were very quickly caught um, and Clarence Darrow famously defended them and that was his argument that they had been morally corrupted by the schools so they really couldn't be held culpable Jeez. which freaked out the entire nation because they're like wait a second if we can't even call out these two cold-blooded killers for just killing a young boy like what is going to happen to our children oh my goodness like um, and that's that's the big thing for conservatives. They they call they consider that um, sinning against the children, like that if we mm-hmm. allow this to happen, we are literally sinning against our own children. And you see that argument then um, get resurrected during the Scopes trial. So, yeah, I mean, so real quick, say more about that too, like the impact of evolutionary theory mm-hmm. on our views of ethics. I'm, I'm get, I mean, it sounds like people also were concerned that evolutionary theory was going to have a deleterious effect. I mean, that was ethics. so much more the core of the fear in conservative Christians when it came to teaching evolution yeah. than the actual, like whether evolution is true or not. Like if you really dig into <laughs> what they said, that was what they were saying. Like we, we, we mostly are putting the science aside because we are afraid of what this will do to our children. And I think understanding that this happened immediately after World War II or World War One, I'm sorry, World War One, when technology had betrayed everyone, like technology was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be the great savior. And then World War One happened and it killed so many people mm-hmm. in trenches. They mm. made no movement right? Gas just flowed in and there was nothing that they could do. Mm. Um, You have psychologically damaged young men. They didn't know what PTSD was at that point. Mm. Um, And so like the entire nation was just really very um, wary of what technology and modern thought could Mm. produce and add to that Nietzschean philosophy, add to that like these other fears that were really um, coming in. You have the, um, of course, the revolution in sexual ethics through women's rights and things like that. Like it really was a moment of great societal change. And that is where the, like the fear of evolution was really rooted. I would argue in America. Interesting. And just to clarify, that is my argument. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's me. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, you didn't, didn't you write your master's thesis on yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we could do a whole talk on that, um, but we should probably get back to yeah. Moral All right. relativism, more Good. specifically. Well, so the, 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 the sort of summary point there is that historically there's been major concern about the way that um, the way that ethical views are going to impact society at large, mm-hmm. right? And so moral relativism, moral nihilism have been major concerns at various points in U.S. history. And, you know, there's still some concern uh, about, in particular, moral relativism, and, and that seems to be a growing in popularity. And in fact, this paper by the philosopher Thomas Polzler aims to kind of get a feel for how many people are actually committed card-carrying relativists. And so he, along with a colleague of his, conducted a study to to see how, how prevalent relativism is. So... This is kind of how the study went. Um, so he, he teamed up with Jennifer Wright, a psychologist at the College of Charleston, and they performed a, the following experiment. They used an online survey, and it involved more than 100 U.S. students and so-called crowd workers employed via the website Amazon Mechanical Turk. So immediately when I saw this, I was like, how is this like? How is this survey going to be representative? Like, how is this going to be a representative sample? I mean, there's already like major problems with these research programs that turn on 
college students, in particular college freshmen. So immediately, like, I think this raises like a red flag as far as whether this sample is representative, a bunch of U.S. students. Um, I, yeah, that seems fishy to me, but let's just keep moving on with this. And so what they did in the studies, they asked people to interpret certain situations in which two people disagreed about a moral statement, such as that abortion is impermissible. And they would ask the subject, do you think that one of these people was right and the other wrong? That both are right, that both are wrong, or that neither was right or wrong? Okay, so we have different options here. And this is what the study found. They said, when we first looked at our study results, Wright and I were stunned. In contrast to much previous research, the majority of participants seemed to deny moral objectivity. They rather dominantly tended toward individualist and cultural-based forms of relativism, around 64% of all responses, as well as other forms of non-objectivism. So, you know, over half of the people in their sample endorsed non-objectivity. So, um, you know, in the disagreements that, that were described in the study, around half of the subjects answered that the people who affirmed and who denied the permissibility of abortion were both right, okay? And this idea that both of, the, both of these people are right, the pro-life or the pro-choice, or they're both right, that sort of answer is meant to be an indication of relativistic convictions. And so let's maybe just park there. This is supposed to be taken as evidence that there's, you know, kind of more relativist than maybe we expected. I, I, I'm not surprised by this result um, because when I teach philosophy, I mean, tons of my students, at least in word, subscribe to relativism. I don't know if they actually believe it deep down inside mm -hmm. because they're, you know, there's always this disconnect between like maybe how you live and like how you profess. So um, did you have any thoughts about this study? Yeah. I mean, I think Again, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the majority of people just polled were like, oh, yeah, I think that morality is relative. Um, that doesn't shock me um, with my experience with students on campus. However, I do think that asking the question about abortion is going to lead to that answer. Yep. Yep. Because most of us have such like committed people that we know on both sides of that issue that we might really care about that like choosing which of those is right is like a really high stakes choice. Sure. And so like we're already going to be torn about it, most likely, especially uh, younger people like the ones that are polled are going to be pretty torn about it. So they're they're more likely to say, ah, yeah, they're probably both right. And by that, they might mean they both have really good points and I'm right. not sure which yeah. one is right. Right. So exactly. I would I would like to know if those same people, if asked a question of like, say, hey, um, is the question of girls education relative? Like, yeah. do we have a right to try and force you know, Middle Eastern countries to educate their women. Like, is that something that is a relative yeah. effect? Because I think that will have the exact opposite effect. I think more people will end up being considered a moral objectivist um, yes. with that question. And so I, I have some questions about that. Yeah, I mean, imagine also, like, if the question was like, consider the following disagreement. Person A says that slavery is morally permissible. Person B says that it is not. Mm -hmm. Are they both right? Are they both wrong? Like, I just have this sense that almost everyone would be like, oh, no, the person who says it's impermissible is right, mm -hmm. hands down. Yeah. So I and think the, the, the question really matters here. It does. And I think that the, what they were trying to do with the abortion one is get one where it's not fully on one side or the other. But I think by choosing such a contentious issue that yeah. even making a choice is in itself controversial. So I think they just need to lower the stakes of the question to really get to the root of whether or not 
people really are more this yeah. have this kind of moral relativism. And I think too, to, good. I agree with all of this. And I think part of the issue too is that sometimes when we ask the question "Who is right," um, that's ambiguous between like who's entitled to believe what they're what they're defending mm-hmm. versus who's actually getting at objective truth. Right. And I think that in the abortion debate, there's a lot of it's a very difficult and tricky issue. The philosophical arguments are tricky. Um, and even the non-philosophical, just sort of like pre-theoretic intuitions we have are mixed. And so I think that sometimes people come to these debates, look at each person on either end of the table and think to themselves, wow, they're all trying their hardest to get at truth here. And they're each, they're each perhaps entitled to believe what they believe. And that can translate into they're both right. What, what, what that really is, is a paraphrase for they're both rational in believing their respective views. Mm-hmm. But that's different than saying, oh, each of them is like right about morality. Um, you might think, no, there's there's actually just one objective moral fact of the matter. But because of the complexities and the ambiguity of the issue, they're not going to be able to discover it. But they're doing their best, and so they're 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 okay. They're justified in their beliefs. And I think I think that this test may not have may not have um, tested for that potential confounding variable. At least I'm not sure it did. So. I'm with you. I'm very, I'm very suspicious of the Mm -hmm. questions asked and the sort of um, problems that arise with these questions. Okay. Having said that, I just want to reaffirm again. I do think that relativism is like probably pretty widespread in terms Mm -hmm. of at least how people, what people profess to believe. Yeah. And I think it's even sometimes even more than just cultural relativism. I mean, I think that idea of I'm living my truth. Oh yeah. I, I think that is, really uh, a touchstone for much of Gen X, if not even millennials. Yep, I agree. Okay, so now let's talk about the impact of relativism. However widespread relativism is or is not, it's an interesting question. What does relativism do to my character? What does it do to how, you know, how charitable I'm willing to be? And so there are different studies that have actually tested for these sorts of questions. And uh, in the paper, they talk about a number of these studies. So um, the, the paper says, so far, scientific investigations do not support the suspicion that moral relativism is problematic. And by problematic, they mean like leads to what we would con- consider, you know, vices or immoral behavior. They say, true, there are two studies that do suggest such a conclusion. In one of them, participants were led to think about morality in either relativistic or objectivist terms. It turns out that the subjects in the relativistic condition were more likely to cheat in a lottery and to state that they would be willing to steal than those in the objectivist condition. In the other study, participants who had been exposed to relativist ideas were less likely to donate to charity than those who had been exposed to objectivist ideas ideas. So these are some of the studies suggesting that relativism can diminish your your um, benevolence mm-hmm. and perhaps make you more willing to cheat. And kind of like your potential for social good. I mean, yeah. that's really what those studies are Yeah, that's a good way of putting at, it, right? right. Yeah. yeah. So, but they go on to say that that there's other evidence suggesting that relativism has positive ramifications as far as social good. And so they conducted another study, or at least Wright conducted another study um, 
And I'll just read it. Wright and her colleagues informed their participants that another person disagreed with one of their moral judgments. Then the researchers measured the subject's degree of tolerance for this person's divergent moral view. For example, participants were asked how willing they would be to interact with the person, how willing they would be to help him or her out, and how comfortable they generally were with another individual denying one of their moral judgments. And according to the study, it turned out that the subjects with the relativistic leanings were more tolerant toward the disagreeing person than those who had tended toward objectivism. So the results are somewhat uh, mixed here in this last study tests for degrees of tolerance. I just, I have such issues with the whole tolerance study. I, I mean, first of all, just seeing that as like an overarching good for society, like that tolerance is like an unmitigated social good. I think that could definitely be argued against. But even beyond that, this idea that asking someone, if you disagree with someone, how much are you willing to do things for them or help them or hang around them? It's like, well, if I disagree with them, but I also think they're right. Of course, I'm going to be more willing to spend a lot of time with them. Sure. And that might have a lot more to do with like cult, like our culture of conflict aversion. Sure. Like we don't even know how to have a good civil discourse with anyone anymore. So like there right. are other factors as to why, like if I know, like I disagree with someone and I'm very convicted about it. Like if I'm conflict averse, I'm not going to want to hang around that person because I know I'm going to argue about it. Like there's just, there could be That's other factors point. as well. That's a really well. good point. Um, and yeah, so I just, I, I have doubts about what exactly the tolerance like scale is, like how exactly, I don't know. But anyway, I just, I have my doubts about this study. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, what's, what's interesting is it sometimes this paper almost makes it sound like the results are really mixed, like relativism might have a diminishing impact on social like social good but it also might have a positive impact and the thing is it treats like these different goods like they're commensurate like they're equally valuable like well relativism might diminish charity but it increases tolerance so like hmm, you know there's kind of a trade-off here and i i don't know in my view i don't know that there's exactly a trade-off between those two um so, yeah, and then I mean, he, and then after that, like where he says that, like some of these effects are negative, others are positive. I'm reading from the article right now. Yeah. Then he says, finally, I suspect that in most everyday contexts, relativism's effects will be simply negligible. And he just he just throws that out there. He's like, well, yeah. here we have some for, some against, so therefore, it it really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything. Yeah. I just think that's irresponsible scholarship i guess is what i would call it like that just seems to be such a sentence out of the blue it's like well glad that's your suspicion sir but this you're putting it out there and it should have more teeth to it yeah it feels like we're departing a bit from the evidence which was the whole focus of this paper was to stay close to the evidence and i mean i think too we, we kind of you and i before the podcast looked up this study that showed that people who were primed to think about relativism were less charitable and i mean it's a, it looks like a really interesting study, but the issue is that it's, it's, what it does is it primes people to think about relativism, which is different than actually seeing whether a card-carrying relativist would be more charitable than an objectivist. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, 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 I was a bit disappointed with some of the empirical research yeah. on this issue. I was hoping for something a little more robust. Now, don't get me wrong. I think relativism is very prevalent. 
I just don't think it's, I don't think the evidence we've received in this paper is, is like good evidence for that conclusion. I, I just kind of go off of my like anecdotal evidence, like mm-hmm. interacting with freshmen. Right. Um, yeah. Which I, yeah, I don't know how strong that is as a evidentiary basis either, but sure. Fair. And I mean, to be fair, like some of the points that he makes at the end of his article is that there's so many other things that influence these kinds of behaviors, both social good and um, antisocial yeah. behaviors that yeah. we can't really say whether it's relativism or not. And again, okay, maybe. Yeah. But yet when you look at, again, historically, the way that this kind of attitude towards morality has influenced policy, has influenced culture, like I think there is more at stake than what he's saying. Yeah, that might be right. I mean, so let's read the yes, this last sentence of the article. If we consider the available scientific evidence, moral relativism may be more widespread than thought, yet it likely does not pose any serious threat to American society. And it really depends on what you think American society is and stands for. What's at st- so yeah, what do, what do you think is at stake for Polzler? I mean, I think he's he's like, well, is it going to turn the nation into a bunch of murderers and rapists? Like that's he kept, what he always goes back to, right? He he's like, it's not going, that. yeah, it's not going to turn you into murderers and rapists, and that's probably quite true. Like most cultures, even if we do believe in cultural relativism, most yeah. of them are like, yeah, murder and rape are bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially in modern contexts, you can look back and see some cultures where that has not been the case, um, but. Like, so for him, that clearly is like what would turn American society into a pit hole. Uh, I don't think that's what many um, who are objectivists really fear. So, Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think they fear? I mean, I think, well, in many ways, the cultural turn that we see now, um, uh-huh. that so much of our legal status is really up to individual choice. Um, that there is a culture of acceptance for any kind of behavior. Right. Um, So you can't really if you hold a conservative view, for example, you can't really watch let your child watch television because like your view is not going to be supported. Uh, And so there's just, yeah, an allowance and kind of a a liberality of all sorts of different moral codes. And it's this kind Mm. of, you know, you live your life, I'll live mine and it's going to be fine. Mm. And I think for many on the more conservative side, um, that's not acceptable. And that is going to like all of those those good things of American society that they saw as being like an upright moral society, especially looking at the arguments that were made in the 20th century, um, that those are gone. And so it was a serious threat to American mm-hmm. society. Like, I, I mean, I can look back at that and look at the culture wars and be like, yeah, these conservatives were kind of right. I mean, you can certainly disagree with whether or not those changes were good or bad, but most of the time they were right about the influence on certain things. So when censorship faded, right, and the Supreme Court started to take less and less of a stand against pornography, mm. yeah, it became a lot easier for kids to get their hands on pornography. They were not wrong. Mm. Um, and so there's like lots of different cases where that happened. It's just that now most people don't care. They don't consider that a threat to American society. Yeah, that's a super interesting point. And I was thinking, too, about the study on charity. And look, um, America isn't, in terms of the percentage it gives, it's it's not especially charitable. I mean, the United Nations has this goal that every developed country should give 0.7%. Point 0.7%? 0.7%. Not oh 7%. 0.7% oh of their national income. And we give well below that, well below that, right? We haven't Is even that both that. external and internal charities? That is, that would be, 
No, that would be um, charities that work with underdeveloped countries. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes that makes a little more sense to me because I do think that um, many Americans are very like internally focused. Like they're much more interested in contributing to charities that they can see the effect of um, personally rather than kind of just sending it out there because they there truly is a suspicion of other governments and like, ah, it's all corruption. My money's going to go to nothing if I right. do this. Or a suspicion of non-government organizations and yeah. charities in general. Like, mm-hmm. you know. But, I, but I, I think like if relativism actually has an adverse impact on charity, I mean, for me, in my view, that would be an erosion of America's moral, st- moral standing. It would be, not that I think, not that it's like take, it's making America something. It's not, it's not, making America lose something it currently has. America is not charitable. I, my opinion here, I don't think America is especially charitable, but if relativism diminished that even more, I think that would be concerning. But again, I'm just not so sure that the evidence for, for that is all that great. So, yeah, I mean, so I think what you were saying was interesting because I think people are very concerned about moral relativism. They're, they're, they're concerned about the decay of moral values, whether that's because of relativism or because of nihilism or whatever. And the point of this article was to engage the empirical literature on that issue. And kind of sounded to me like, like you were saying, Maggie, that the sort of sociological evidence, yeah, that, that matters, but there's also like historical precedents for thinking that shifts in legal and moral norms can have really interesting and big impacts mm-hmm. on the country. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I do think though it's, it's fair to kind of loop back to the Paul Ryan quote where he says that it has this great economic impact on the poor. And yeah. like, I, I read the paragraph where he's quoted it. It doesn't make more sense when you read what else he said, like <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't actually help. give a justification, at least in this particular article as to why moral relativism somehow influenced this poverty culture that he seems to think is the big problem um and so like there's there's certain things where it's unclear what the connection really is and i think um, particularly those who do believe in objective moral truths you need to be a little clearer on what the correlation is sure and because otherwise your your argument just doesn't make a lot of sense yeah that's fair yeah and I, i can't help but say something about his comment i I think it's incredibly simplistic and it it's part of this narrative that came out in the eighties, seventies or eighties. I can't remember this idea that what explains American poverty is that there's a culture of poverty, that the poorest have certain values and norms that have departed from traditional values. And that's why they're poor. And I think the evidence for that is pretty awful. Um, At least the evidence suggests that there are far many more variables that explain American poverty and, you know, it's, it's, it's things like shift in job demands and hence shift in educational demands, globalization of business, technological advancements, outsourcing of low income, low skilled jobs to other countries. Like these are all, and race, all of these have an impact on your economic standing. It's, 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 I think it's really reductionistic to think that it hinges on your views of morality. Um, And besides, I mean, I think we're seeing some really interesting trends in American culture right now where there's a major concern with justice and whether people profess objectivism or not, I think they're very committed to certain moral values and virtues that I think many people find um, worthwhile. At least I do. I think the concern for justice is really great. 
Thanks for joining us on the Methinks podcast. We hope you enjoyed this one and we'll see you around for next time. See ya. tell some of our listeners that one of our friends who's from China calls me chicken legs and which is very endearing I, I think it's hilarious and I, I do have really relatively small thin legs um, but she recently called me uh, old Joel too old mm. Joel and which is hilarious I, I thought that was hilarious and then one of our other friends who actually studied Chinese and uh, was in China for a study abroad program told me oh yeah well that kind of makes sense because in China it's a very common nickname to either put little or old in front of your name mm. and so yeah there's that well I guess it's better that she went with old than little because little Joel. chicken legs has little chicken legs it's just that's a little bit rough it's, it's adding extra on yeah. top of an already painful it's not a painful nickname I think it's quite hilarious <laughs>